to solve a problem requires you to go against the, the current existing system. And that made Africans suffer from mental uh, slavery. When you were able to be mentored by Raymond Ackerman, what was that experience like for you? I'm a student of the game. And when I meet great people, I'm listening. We're going to change the country. Hi, leaders. Welcome to yet another episode of Access Genie, the podcast that opens the doors to success in the world of entrepreneurship. We're coming to you live from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway, which is a spectacular secluded getaway for business and pleasure right in the heart of Northcliffe. I'm your host, Ansela Numbewo, and today we're joined by Talifani Banks, who is the group CEO at Analytics X. He's a three-time award-winning entrepreneur being awarded the BRICS Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2022, the Top Empowerment Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2022, and the Best Tech CEO in Africa. Most recently, Talifani launched Spaza Eats, which is the Uber Eats for Spaza Shops. It's set to revolutionize the township economy. Welcome, Talifani. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I've been following you and your journey on social media for a while, and I really love how the way in which you think and the way in which you talk about entrepreneurship and most importantly, how much you share has evolved because I've seen some sort of uptake over the years, which is really great because this podcast is really about that, giving access to the larger community, to people like you and people who can think like you. And one of the things that has been really fascinating for me about your story is your last name, Banks. And I heard that it's actually a name that was given to you because of your excellence and your love for math while you were in school. And now you go by the name Banks. I know some people could be thinking it's Talifan Banks for the money, money, money. The story is deeper than that. It's not just about money, but because of of your love for math and math really plays a huge role in anybody's life normally when we're in school people would say ah i'm never gonna face an equation or pythagoras uh, whatever theorem at any point in my life so i don't need math but that's not true because math really helps you think about the world in a different way or rather just the process of solving that equation improves your mind and how you solve problems in the real world. How has math transformed how you think and how does that impact your your day-to-day -day life today? I think high school uh, maths, you don't understand why you're doing it, doesn't make sense. When you get to university level, especially I studied uh, statistics, so it's a study of making sense of numbers you get to understand why you have to apply this model on this situation. So you realize this different approach to different situation. Like the equations you will use in engineering might not be the same for uh, a law sector or something because what you're solving is different. That's where you hear about predictive modeling, time series. These are all different ways of solving the same thing. How has that impacted me? If, if I'm going through something, I have to understand which approach is this one. Which, how do I approach this one? Because then it's a different formula. I've solved so many X's that um, now in reality, I'm like, this is just another X that I need to solve. You know, so I look at it that way, that if I've solved so many, 
how is this one difficult? Mm, that's true. And another fascinating story about your life is that you used to preach. Yeah. When I saw that you used to preach, I was like, this is amazing. I used to preach too when I was yeah, young. Yeah. I read. I, read. <laughs> <laughs> I used to preach too. And I really remember the first time I stood in front of the church. I'm SDA from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And oh, nice. um, when I was five years old, I was made to nice. stand in front of the church. We had uncomfortable, to... Uncomfortable, yeah. And I was so uncomfortable. I had mm. to uh, recite a stanza of a song mm -hmm. and say exactly what it means to yes. me and like turn it yes, into a sermon. Yes, that's what they used and to do. And I was yeah. five and I was so scared. I remember vividly shaking. I almost pissed my <laughs> <Yeah>. pants. <laughs> shaking with the whole church yeah, yeah. listening to me. You could hear the needle yes. or pin drop at the time and I was so scared. Stuttering. But stuttering. It was mm. horrible. But that really started forming some sense of confidence for me to say I've got something to say and I've got a voice mm. and my voice matters and as scary as it can be I can say something that people can listen to as long as it makes sense mm. right mm. so over the years then I, be, I was able to start building that app and having a little bit more confidence mm. uh, how has Christianity played a role for you in your journey particularly God is king, you know. Um, <clears throat> we all believe in different things, but um, that higher power is what I refer to as God. You, some of the things that I do now, I had to have a vision to see them. I had to believe in I had to have faith. If I didn't have faith or I didn't believe in these things, how was I going to be here? Because in 2014, I'm believing that I'm going to be here. It's that faith that, you know, allows you to sustain you for a long period of time. Um, it played a huge role. It's everything I am. And that's why on my wall at the office, I put God is king. And I remember this one guy was like, how is, how is this good for consulting? I'm like, I only want people who understand this here. I don't want anyone else because then we will start fighting. But <clears throat> I also come from the same background. And the reason why I started preaching early, they wanted to groom us to be pastors. And we were <laughs> all gearing up. But me, I'm, I'm just a competitor. I don't like failing. So it's not like I was the best at preaching. I was just one of the persons who, had, who loved it. And because I was also selling after it combined, it, it, I was not a, I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I learned over the years. It's, a, it's something that I had to learn as a skill. Because I used to start, uh, used to sit at the back in school. And all of these things are built up to where I am now. Yeah, but Christianity is the heart of what I do. I love that you talk about stuttering and not being an incredible speaker because I find in my life that people don't believe me when I say that. Like you, I'm very timid and very mm. shy, but people are like, you, timid? Mm. <laughs> Where? Mm. How? Yet it's taken years of training and self-belief and, mm. and understanding who I am and really what I want to share. Mm. What would young Talifani in Lewis Chittad think of the Talifani sitting in Joburg today? Did you know this was who you were going to be? Did you have people back then who believed in you? I had a, I had a visions of that is going to happen, but not in this way, because now it's becoming bigger than I thought. But I can't say that people believed in me. You wouldn't see me in the room. I'm quiet. And I'm just observing. And um, if there was someone that you would want to clean this house, is me. 
You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm a nobody in that room. But I'm also aware of what's going on. And I'm the only one who seemed to know what's going on. Why I'm saying that is I started working very early. I worked, I used to stay in a town, a small town, but I worked in a farm. I worked at Spare. I worked in people's gardens. I was just working. And that's, that's what took me out of the street. You don't have a history of me doing anything because I was not there. And either I'm doing that or I'm in the library and learning. But you wouldn't pick me as one of those guys who are going to be. I have, I'm coming from a good family and I always say it. I've got uh, good siblings who are very much educated and working well. They would be picked for what I do now. It wouldn't be me. Uh, but for that young child, I think they can hear me. They can hear what I'm saying, and they are rumbling, you know, and they are boiling. But from where I'm coming from, this is it's a far-fetched dream. You, you don't think this way. You think to be a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer. You don't think this. Um, I mean, people think enough to, to, to become successful for themselves. I'm thinking big enough to be successful as a community. And beyond community, I'm thinking continental. And somebody's thinking... It's just here. No, I'm already in five countries and we're moving. Spaza is, is here, but it's already, we're talking in Uganda, you know? And it's beyond just what it is. And sometimes it will take time to understand the whole full picture. Well, do you say you were invisible or you felt invisible when you were younger? I was... I didn't feel invisible. I was powerful inside. I don't have a problem with myself. I, I'm confident. You were invisible I to went, others. Yes. Not to, not to <clears throat> I was invisible to... And it goes um, to show how far people can see. Uh, people are limited to what they know and what they're exposed to. So you can be in the room and powerful and people will still not re realize you are the one. Um, yeah, that's what I learned. Mm. But I'm, I've been confident. How, how were you able to keep that visibility alive to say the people in the rooms that I'm in might not see me, but I'm here and I've got something to share with the world. I, I think it helped me to keep pushing myself because I thought I had something missing. These people have something that I do not have. And because of that, it also protected me from everything else because there were so many shots, so many things that were coming. They were not coming to me. So I would say the people around me, they were protect, they were shielding me, and I appreciate them. Um, because what I've done and what I'm doing, nobody would have expected me to be doing it, which is good, because if there was any fire that was going to come, it was not going to come to me. So I appreciate the people who were shielding me. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about your, your childhood and your inner voice being so loud mm. when you were young, even when you were spaces where people would pick you for cleaning mm. and not for greater things. Mm. But your voice was so young. And I find that when we are young, our voices are very young, but very loud. Yes. And you can hear yourself yeah. think. There's such conviction mm. in yourself and who you are over and above the externalities that yeah. you face. Yeah. How have you been able to keep that young, loud voice a life that doesn't listen to external factors. It helped me to depend on myself. What I'm doing, I truly, truly believe in myself beyond anybody else in the room. But how? How do you get to that point of true, true belief. belief in yourself even when everybody 
else around you doesn't see it, doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, doesn't even believe you can do mm. it. it. So because of all of that, it becomes your home, right? You become, your natural habitant is you believing in you because nobody else does. So you start living in your thoughts and your mind. You applaud yourself. Nobody applauds you in that room. They applaud everyone else. And for you to exist, you have to be confident enough to believe in you beyond words. That's why I'm saying like, I can be saying this, but it doesn't affect me that people don't believe me. I, I don't feel anything because where I'm coming from, we don't, nobody, do you think like, you know, what I'm doing now, somebody had to say, you can do it. No, mm. I strongly, strongly believe in what I am and what I can do, even beyond words, beyond clapping. True. Mm. And as you progress in your career, you have the opportunity to be mentored by Raymond Ackerman, uh, founder of Pick and Pay. And I'm really interested about that part of your life and that part of your journey because I've had the privilege to interview billionaires before. Wow. I'm an entrepreneur today yeah, yeah, because of because the sit-downs I've feel had that. with billionaires ooh, where they've opened powerful, my mind powerful. and said, this is how you and should think ooh, about the world. Greatness can be transferred, right? It can be transferred. I respect. And for me, it was, I respect. It was Michiel Leroux, who's the ooh. founder of Capitec Bank. Ah, I saw. Youngest I saw. bank to come out of South Africa, but the fastest growing on yes. the continent. Disruptive. Um, they're so disruptive in the way they think. And he mm. said to me when we're having a conversation and I asked him why he wanted to create a bank like Capitec, because we've never seen anything like yeah. Capitec before. Mm. And he said to me he had gone into his bank one day and he saw a long queue of people waiting to be served outside. And when we walked inside, everyone was like, hello, Mr. Leroux, how are you, Mr. Lou? Private room, do you want a cappuccino, a red latte? And he was being treated like a king. And it didn't make sense for him because mm. he was like, I might have a little bit more money than those people, but, but this bank makes more money from <coughs> the people outside than they do from me. Because us Lerado from Soweto withdraw 50 rand every day mm. to catch a taxi to go to work. Mm. The bank will make more in interest and charges over yes. him just having his millions sitting in the mm. bank. And he said to me, from that day, he decided to build a bank that cares about the people at the end <sighs> of the line. The people that people don't see. See the invisibility that you Ooh. talk about? That you can be in a room and people don't see you and people don't hear mm. you. So for me, that was one of the most transformative interviews I've ever had in my life because when he said that, I heard it hit him. You. It hit me and I heard him because we're coming from a country that has a lot of poor people than mm. they are rich people, mm. a lot of black people mm. than they are white people, mm. a lot of people in townships than people in the suburbs. Yes. So why are we not taking care of the majority in the yeah. spaces that we're in? Mm. So I'm interested to know that when you were able Powerful. to be mentored by Raymond Ackerman, what was that experience like for you? And What's the biggest lesson that you learned from him? I mean, pick and pay turns over 109 billion more in a year. Beside that, one man, more than 60,000 employees. Yeah. One man. Imagine. Impressive. Beyond thoughts. What did you learn and how can all the Access Genie viewers, what can <clears> they learn from your lessons from, from Mr. Ackerman? I'm a student of the game. And when I meet great people, I'm listening. Uh, I might not appear like that, but I'm a learner. I don't talk in the room. I only talk when I'm given a chance. <laughs> the greatness can be transferred. When I met this man, 
beyond explanation, you could feel the vibration. You can start sweating when you meet him, not because you're scared of him. And he's not, he doesn't lead by fear. He lead by connection. Great leaders, I believe, either they master this or whatever, they are born, you know? They have it in them because they don't have to fight with you to prove they are. And bosses and managers, they have to show you, I am. And that's why, like, when you meet a boss, you, you know already the energy is different. He's different from the management that I had, but I had good managers. And when you meet him, you feel, like, open. You feel like you can talk your story. And that allows him to tell you <laughs> what he needs to tell you. Great lessons. It's around, and it's about retail, uh, administration. Get your bookkeeping right. Get your expenses and uh, and be prepared. Look for funds and raise funding. That's administration. That's he said. In business, there's four four legs of the table, and on top is the customer. But in this table, one leg is administration. So I was explaining that one leg, and the second leg is merchandising. If you are going to be in a aisle in a shop, you have seen when you get into shop, there's so many brands. When you are there, be ready to compete on price. Uh, there's price wars and all of that. Be ready for what merchandising is and look appealing for the customer. And the leg three was about uh, promotions and uh, promotions and social responsibility. You have to promote yourself in a way that is different, makes you first. And also, as you build, be socially responsible and give people. You can see the part that pick and pay plays. Doing good is good business. That's his tagline. Um, and that's what makes him stand out. Uh, the, the other leg, it's about people. You talked about KP Tech and how they, they're focused on people. That's why they're growing. If you put people first within the organization, they build the scalability of this thing. Obviously, what makes pick and pay is the people inside. So you have to take care of your people that you live that you live with in the office, that you do business with. Make them feel important. Make them feel heard, and let their ideas be. You know, and that's what made that company powerful because he knew who to bring in the room. You know, like all of those things that allows a company to be. And some of those, that's what I brought up to my company. I am not here because of me. I'm here because of the team that works with me, the great minds, the innovators, and the thought leaders that work with me. These guys are amazing. They were like born to be in that room. And that ecosystem keep expanding because somebody was not selfish to keep the idea to themselves. He keep thinking, how far can we go? And that's what pushed the movement forward. Mm. And are you still in touch with him? Does he still mentor you? Um, so it, I, I was not big enough. I was just like a data pricing pricing analyst, you know. I was not. I don't think he remembers me. I was one of the few selected. I think we were five, six selected, and not that we were great. No, mm. we were just it was just that day, mm. and having a chance with him is what created the opportunity. But I think now he knows me because mm. I'm back at Pick and Pay. We partnered with Pick and Pay, and we're creating this one model called a Startup Garage, and it makes me the product of the king. Yeah, and I love that you're back with Pick and Pay because as somebody who once worked for Forbes, I always say, the next time I come back, I'm going to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. No, we can, we so can, I love we can't that. Doubt it. <laughs> you can't doubt it. You, and you're yes. back to service 
the place that you used to work for is just the a guy who was a, yeah. a data analyst and, yeah. and, and working in that in that space. So that's really amazing. You said something now about how he probably doesn't remember you because you are not big enough. And watching a lot of your interviews and your speaking engagements, I see a, a theme where you, I don't know if it's humility or it's you not having an understanding of how much you can give. For example, you would say you were never smart enough or smart enough, yet you were able to be admitted at the University of Pretoria to study statistics. How many of us can say we could even get a C enough to be able to be in that department, right? So do you think that part of your mindset is humility? Is it what you think or do you think it think of it because of some deeper childhood traumas. I say this because I've been rereading Oprah's book, What Happened to You. I don't know if you've read that book. Amazing book. And she talks a lot about how so many traumas that happen to us when we're younger present themselves in different ways when we're older. So much that sometimes we can't take a compliment, for example, because we think, oh, we're invisible or we don't deserve or we like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, no, I just did it. But yet we should be able to stand in that space and say, yeah, I did it. I did and it. I was good and I did it. So reading <laughs> yeah. that book and watching your interviews and how you speak about, oh, no, I'm never smart enough or I couldn't talk or that's not me. Or I'm interested to see if there is if you, if you have ever had some reflection to see if there's any trauma associated to that, or it's more deeper rooted than it is, as as Oprah says in that book? I think Ooh. it is. That you think it is? What do you think? I would agree. Uh, listen, when I got to university, my brother was finishing his accounting degree at university. He's a top student. He helped me. I don't think I was going to... I knew that I was going to make it big, but maybe not there. You know? So shout out to him. It's probably childhood trauma because everyone else is genius. My young sister, she's been number one since first grade too. I'm not that. And also what people regarded smart is not, I don't live in that quad. I'm an outlier because what I do is not in that cycle. Because when you say, when we say intelligent, what are we referring to? Because the reason why I say I'm not smart, I know that people are referring to the intelligence in class. I'm not that intelligent on that one. But I am awakened to know what is going on around me enough that I can put these different bot like balls together and juggle them in real time. And I've put people in management position they couldn't handle what I do. So I know that I'm a genius in business and what I'm doing and connecting things, but not genius in class. In class is not my thing. So that's why I will always say I'm not one of them. But probably childhood trauma, a combination of everything, because everyone else is regarded that I'm not, you know. So even my father, he didn't think I'm the one out of his kids, you know. He didn't think I'm the one. He believes in me because he stayed, he stayed with me for too long. And I am the person, be, that person, because I believe somehow the universe hide me from every noise that could have possibly came to me. So I don't want to claim it. I don't even want it. I'm going to do what maybe in the future will make me great. I'd like to give you a challenge mm. to change. Let's change the way in which you talk about that then. Yeah. Because 
we need to claim it, right? To yeah. a Christian, you know, God is king. God is king. God is king. So may, I want to challenge you to change that narrative to say, I am not book smart, but I'm excellent in analyzing situations and how I can use them to my advantage. Ooh. I am not book smart, but I'm excellent in analyzing situations around me and juggling them to yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Because you are. Yeah. So Thank you. I, I really I, I should give to you that book. I think you should read I think it. I should and read it, yeah. it's gonna change gonna your life. Me. It really Thank changed you. my Thank life in, in so many ways. Yeah. Uh yeah. because there's so many things that happen in our childhood and we don't even realise how much mm. they impact us and impact yes. who we become. They touch you, yeah. How we speak about ourselves, how yeah. we show up, how we dress, how we do certain things. Some people are just aggressive because they've had to fight for themselves so much in their childhood. Where you're like, mm. why are you so angry? But because there's so many childhood traumas that you know come up as adults in our mm. lives. So that's a challenge for you. Every interview from this day <laughs> forth, <laughs> you may not but, be book yeah, yeah. smart, but you're excellent because you're- also, are. you know, I'm confident, highly confident. I know that I might appear so much confident that people might mistake my confidence for arrogance. So I'm saying it knowing that I I know who I am. I'm not I don't I'm not having a problem. Mm. But I'm saying it to be humble enough because once I appear to people who don't believe in themselves as if I overly believe in me, they resent me. And I'm not willing to go through that. So I'd rather say I don't know. Is you know what I mean? Mm. But people are not ready for what I carry. It's powerful. Mm. But if I start saying it like that, mm. It's going to affect me. I say say it. <laughs> okay. Because you're strong enough yeah. and you're moving with God in yeah. that people who hear it yeah. will listen and follow. And those who don't, their yeah. time will come their for them to come. hear it. I hear you. Because yeah. even the way in which you talk about business, for example, yeah. is in a way that a lot of people not understand. Like, yes. what are you talking about? How yes. do I even it's implement this? How do I implement this in my business or in yeah. my life? It doesn't make sense. Yet there's those of us who get it. Yes. And those who don't at some point <laughs> will get, we'll it, get it. Right? I feel it that. might take years, it might take mm. time, but at some point they would get it. And talking wow. about your mindset and how you think around entrepreneurship, has this always been how you think? Or it's something that you've had to master and transform and work on? Because it's very out of the box, as you say, outliers, you say. I've always been thinking like this. Um, and thank you for the confidence. I will start being confident. Um, I've always been thinking like this. It's just that in that room, they don't want to hear it that way. They they regard you as uh, stupid because you are talking things. It's like you are an eagle amongst chicken and you are saying we can fly that high and everyone says we don't do that, you know? So I've always been thinking like that because when everyone is saying, I want to be a doctor, I want to be this, I'm, I was thinking, we're going to change the country. You know, when I'm quitting my job at AutoZone, I don't have a manager, I'm reporting to the CEO of AutoZone. What is convincing me to resign? What is possibly convincing me, you know? Yeah, that's true. I was just talking to the team here at the Cliffside Boutique getaway this morning about my entrepreneurship ventures and I said you know 
I don't advise everybody to be an entrepreneur because it's not easy and you need to be a little bit crazy <laughs> to, to be an entrepreneur because you have to have this sort of belief in yourself that you are the one who can go against giants and corporates and you can make it work no matter what they do. You probably don't even have money, <laughs> mm. but you need to believe yes, need to that believe. I can do yeah, it. Yeah, believe yeah. in so much that you go ahead yeah. and do it mm. anyway mm. without fear, mm. without compromising your integrity, knowing that I'm going to do it. You need to be mm. a little bit crazy. You need to be crazy. <laughs> you, need yeah. to, you need to be mm. a little bit mm. crazy. I, I connect with a lot of great people. And I think those are the people that mentored me from far. Um, when I look at, for example, I want to give these guys a shout out, even if they don't know me, maybe in the future we work. When I look at Floyd Mayweather, it's genius. Because I remember one day, 2011, I only had rent money at Hetfield, and I bet on him to win. And I'm supposed to be paying this money. The understanding of what this man can do is beyond normal. I didn't tell anyone, but I knew this man knows how to get the job done. That mindset is where I live. You can trust me to execute because I'm, I know exactly what it takes, you know? So when you look at the, the Steve Jobs and them, these guys were high-level thinkers in their journey, but people around them regard them as dumb people, like crazy. That's the product of who I am, and these are people I've, I've been learning from, yeah able to build a successful business like analytic x or any mm. business mm. um in the world for that matter you need to be able to differentiate yourself from the rest because mm. there's really few new ideas that anyone can come up with <laughs> yeah, in today's yeah, yeah, world yeah, yeah. everything is everything here is in there. one way or the other yes. there's very few people who could revolutionize like facebook for example yes. very very few yes. so most of us are starting businesses that already exist and we you want to be great. and we want to be great right mm. but it's important to differentiate yourself from all the businesses that are around for you to be able to gain that market share mm. especially if you're trying to target corporate clients and get money Absolutely. from there. Absolutely. How would you advise young entrepreneurs who are trying to get in, for example, the analytics space mm. to differentiate themselves to be able to get clients and still grow in a highly mm. competitive industry? Oh, that's a good question. I think I've met so many smart people, geniuses, right? But they are so stuck into solving. Let's say he's a data engineer. He's still stuck in just solving that ETL pipelines or transforming data and stuff. And it feels like somebody else who's a, who's a CEO of some top-level company will respect him because he knows that. It's a combination of everything, not just one segment. And you knowing that part and being a specialist in that does not make you like a business. A business is everything, you know? So they need to realize that it's more than a skill. So beyond, yes, you need to master your skill and 100% is the first segment, yeah? But after that, it's about understanding people, ability to communicate, and understanding finance, understanding how to manage finance, you know? And coming back to uh, marketing, where, how far can you go when, you know, when nobody knows you? You are only making that because only two people know you. And how you scale that will separate you. But at the same time, you don't want just anybody to know you. You want the people who you are targeting to know what you do. And you have to give them a, a, a perspective of what you're specializing in. And that means you need to categorize yourself in a different segment that makes you different. 
when I'm saying analytics, advertising, I could have easily said we are an advertising company. How many advertising you know? So many legends have walked that journey. When I'm saying I'm analytics, there's so many analytics consulting companies that we know. But if I say I'm a data technology company, how many do we know? And if they are there, are they loud enough like me? And that's where we compete. You know, that makes me different. And that's what got me to Russia because now when they say, how many systems have you developed and which regions? And they, when they assess these things, it's a technology built in South Africa competing globally mm -hmm. for a large corporation that is making multi-billion rent. Do you compete with that? Mm -hmm. You see? And I think we always stuck in doing what everyone else is doing. For example, the guys who are doing marketing, everyone else in there, they, what's your brand? What's your CI? What's your... I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what, you know? And I don't think that's what makes you different as a company doing CIs and communication. And what separates you is definitely your story, but a category that makes you different. You can say we are a marketing company, but we specialize in health. Health, <laughs> you know what I mean? Health companies. We, we, we want to talk to healthy uh, people or healthy uh, companies that specialize in health and pharmacy and stuff. And we want to help them to position themselves because we know that doctors don't know how to communicate about brands. Mm -hmm. Imagine how many doctors would call you. But you come in and say, no, we brands, brands are, you know, how many brands have we worked with? You know, so you're not different. With them. Yeah, I think it's about positioning. positioning. We're no longer hustling, we are yeah. positioning. Yeah. Positioning is key. And once you position people think of you as the best of the best in 100%. that space because 100%. I'd rather go to that person yeah. who understands health because they're the best 100%. in health and not best in branding, but best in, in health, health branding and health. <laughs> that's really powerful. How many that's do really you know important. that does that? Mm, very few. You see what I mean? Yeah. You automatically become a G mm. or a genius in what mm. you're doing, but people don't know how to segment. They will be there, either be in fashion, be in product, be in this all these things, they are not defined. No. Uh, and what makes analytics advertising, which is the first company I built, which makes it so powerfully and work with international brands is when they're looking for an African company that builds technology from here, how many more can stand out? And also, I don't look like anybody else because I look like I'm from Nigeria, but I'm from here. And I'm doing that intentional because I don't want to be like you. I, I already know that when I look like you, I won't be separate. I won't be different. Mm -hmm. And somebody else on the street will say, hey, I, I don't like him, he's, he's, he's Nigerian. But they don't realize a corporate company wants exactly that. And we might all be having the same knowledge, but we have a different presentation. Yeah. Talking about the world of fashion, maybe let's use a case study because mm. a lot of people could be watching right now saying, Talifani, I hear what you're saying, but how do I implement this in, in my business and in real life? So let's give the Access Genie watches a case study that they mm. can actually work from. Say, there's a young girl from Alex. Her name is Tandy. Mm. She just graduated from fashion school and she wants to start a fashion business to be one of the top fashion brands in the world. Mm. She has a website. She has come up with her designs. She's got a team and she has the clothes. She's got the social media pages and everything she knows to put in place. Wow. However, the sales are low for mm -hmm. that particular business. What business? It's what, a fashion what business. So let's say it's an African print-inspired fashion African brand. African print. African print-inspired fashion brand. Mm. And 
now she's trying to look for strategies to be able to grow sales and grow her business. Mm. Number one, what kind of data strategies would you advise she implements immediately to start seeing that growth trajectory? Uh, because she does not have enough data of how that business scale, she needs to do a market research. A market research allows you to use people's information to understand how they have scaled their business within that segment of um, traditional uh, clothes or looking at, I, I don't really know the, the words of fashion, but uh, conducting a research locally and in the African continent will help her to understand how you can position your boutique. Yeah, and doing a research will help you also to understand product segment, help you understand customer segment, because I, I have said this before, but there's different segments of products. Either you want to enter the market as an as a entry level, they call it price fighter. You want to fight in that level, in the bottom line. Or you want to enter the market as an A brand, as like middle class uh, product. Or you want to enter the market as a premium. Which market are you coming for? And understanding that will help you know how to position yourself. Because if you're saving premium market, it doesn't, you don't have to be making everyday sales, it's a premium. But if you're saving price fighter and a brand, you might have to chase customers every day, uh, sales every day. So let's assume she's going for price fighter product, like she's selling things that we can afford, like the hats, the you know the the tops and the stuff like that, and it's everyday wear. Um, she needs to understand the customer that buys that product. There's different types of customer. There's like a budget customer, somebody who ends from zero to like a 4,000, I would say that's a budget customer because they have to budget everything they do. They, they don't make shift every month, they buy the same thing. And that to convince that customer to buy from you, it, it takes a lot. And then there's uh, somebody maybe earning from 4,000 to like 8,000, I would say that's, a, that's like a, a core customer. That's a customer that can buy, can make option, but also they are very in, informed, so they are very reserved and stuff. So. And so the last customer I would say is this customer is an upper core customer. This is an upper core, probably earning from 8,000 to more money. Right? The reason why I'm saying that is because the LSMs have reduced because of average earnings. Um, that person who's on the, on the upper core customer have an option. They can read. They know what they want and things like that. So if you have a product that is a price fighter, you're probably targeting an, a, a core customer and a price fighter. How do you talk to a to that customer. You have to use a certain language that a budget customer understand or a, or a core customer understand. Why I'm saying this is you can't talk like it's a premium product to that, that customer does not register. He already thinks it's expensive. So you have to talk to him in a way that he understand, which means now goes to your marketing. Your marketing has to have a strong communication in a way that budget customers can adapt. For example, I, I could have been saying, Spaza Eats is a is a uh, China, uh, like international food platform. The people that I'm targeting wouldn't understand what I'm saying. This is a, an affordable meals platform, you know. So it's the same with the with the boutique. Can you say that? The can you say the message in a way that that customer understands it? Now it goes to your. Uh, now that you have defined that, it goes to your platform of selling. What are you using as a medium of selling? Is it a store or is it an online? If it's online, multiple ways to do this. If 
I would recommend a store because uh, an online store because um, you it's scalable. And if it's scalable and you've got some marketing, you've got some communication, people can even do pre-orders. You can even make more sales before you sell and get more money to get more production done. Um, and how to drive that? You can make use of some influ digitally influential people who you can leverage. Not everyone is expensive, and you don't have to target people who are macro influencers, people who are upcoming, who are showing some nice content. Why don't you talk to them, give them your clothes? Um, I've built some personal brands before, and that's how I think you can scale anything. Now you're getting some few people around you who have some little bit of influence. It's about buying their influence from them to influence your customers and show them how it works. You also have to look for beauty and people who look good wearing your... If you are targeting people with wealth, physique, and uh, get the person who looks like that and go to market like that. I think that's what will be a first step, first step to attracting that customer you want. Now, increase their market. You can't play in your small market and small pond of Gauteng and, and expect to make millions. The reason why Facebook is here is because it's beyond, it's a global, multinational. You have to become multinational mentally. It's beyond Gauteng, beyond Cape Town, beyond South Africa. Can you do the same thing in Tanzania? Can you do the same thing in Ethiopia? Because a lot of people think of Analytics X and they think South Africa. That's one country, and we are already scaling this thing globally. And you are thinking how much we're making South Africa. So it's the same thing. What I'm saying is you can scale this thing into five countries and do the same thing. So if you are getting 10 rand in this country, you're, doing, you're getting 50 rand in five countries. That's how you become scalable. And you don't compete for, for a small pie. You know, like create, if, if within that piece, get that 1% in each country. Don't try and scale you know, with that one person, you won't cut it, you'll get frustrated. So I think once that defined, you've increased your market size and you have uh, identified a, a channel to attract the customer, now it's about the production level. How, how many units can you produce based on demand? You are tracking your demand from your system. Um, you are analyzing which product is moving. Now in data science, we have something called market basket analysis. You are analyzing the basket of customers when they come to you. Do they buy a top? Do they buy a hat? they buy shoes as well what is moving maybe a top is moving more then you don't need to be producing so many shoes they they not now they they chowing your cost of production invest more on the on the blazers and promote more of that and put more discount on them. that's how you scale the business we are not saying that don't produce other products i'm saying that scale the production of the unit that sells more and that's how you will start building up we work with a production company that produce cement and Having a system in place allows them to know how many units to produce. If you're going to be doing this fashion thing and you have to produce thousands of units of everything, you're going to run out of cost because not everything runs, not everything sells. And that's where I think you can cut it. Mm, definitely Somewhere knowing there. your business and understanding it, understanding your clients and what they buy and how they buy to be able to influence that. I hope that's really helpful for all of you watching at home because we get a lot of those questions because entrepreneurs get frustrated. I do have a business and it's good, but mm -hmm. I'm just not making the sales. And, and, and they're like, it's about connection. This and thing. it's not. And sometimes it's just, I believe that a lot of entrepreneurs have a huge error in not even understanding their own businesses. <laughs> yes. Where you ask, okay, so what were your sales last month? And the yeah. person can't tell you yeah. because all they're doing 
they're basically an employee that's just making the yes. clothes, for example. They're busy, but you're just no strategy. busy. There's no strategy in yeah. it at all. And if you're like that, you can't grow yeah. the business or win the business. You yeah. need to know how much you got from which type of business within your company yes. and how were those people being acquired, how much did it cost to acquire them and and, and all repeat, of that. Repeat, <laughs> repeat, yeah. scale, you know, yeah. scale one by one, yeah. one by one. I think we almost like want to compete with people who are not competing with them. People are competing with me, but I don't mm -hmm. see them where I'm, I don't know them. I'm doing me. Even my strategies are based on me. Yeah. So if I can only produce two products today, it's two products today. I'm not going to be talking five products. I'm talking two. And as I do two sales, then I know that I can, um, I have an opportunity to do four. Then I'm doing four. You know, I'm focusing on mine. And I think what is missing is that people look so far around them and they just get frustrated because everyone else look busy and they forget that it's about how you scale your own engine within. Mm -hmm. mm. And working smart, right? My husband always says, don't work hard, just be smart with your time. Mm. Because as an entrepreneur, you don't need to be doing probably 90% of the things most young yeah, entrepreneurs yeah. are doing within yeah. their businesses. Those are things that need to be delegated to others. They are accountants, they are HR, mm. they are administration, mm. they are, you know. Yeah. For sure. And often you'd hear them say, oh, but I can't. Afford. afford putting the systems in place to be able to do that. And I always say that's where collaboration also comes into place. For example, Relinka Media for us is a PR and marketing firm. Say we don't afford HR. There's an HR company out there that's looking for that's PR brilliant. and marketing services. Yeah. So why don't we exchange services? I give them PR, they give me HR if that's the case. But the, if you have a good business, you should be able to afford those businesses um, or those services. Otherwise, you need to go back and look at your pricing strategies right yeah because yeah. if you can't afford something like hr it means something is wrong with your pricing if you've been in business in for a long yeah. time if you're a new entrant in the business then maybe it's ways to look for like collaboration opportunities would you agree or what kind of strategies would you advise people use in that circumstance it's exactly that and yes and right <laughs> i'm learning how mm. this top level guy is speaking <laughs> yes and <laughs> yes and, and but because yeah. i know there's somebody who's thinking that's not exactly talking mm. to what i'm doing mm. i'm alone because I, this is what i have if you find yourself doing designs every day and there's everything else that you do but you do spend most time on your design and you also do sales, what could happen if you bring a designer to focus on design and you remove design, six hours of design in your day? What could you potentially do in that month? We're betting, I don't know, you're betting on the possibility of what can be. Entrepreneurs take risk. You have to take risk on what is possible if I take out this time out of me. That's what will allow you to bring someone, betting on what is possible. Now you've got six hours that you didn't have and if you're going to lose it by not making another sale, that means you didn't really know sales. So sales is another problem. <laughs> you need to go and get somebody who can do sales. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how you build these things. Like, take out what consumes most of your time and give it to someone so you can have enough time to do the things you're, you're good at. Mm -hmm. And focusing on business development, I think sometimes we forget that that's the role of a CEO, right? You mm -hmm. need to be developing the business yes. and not doing the actual work within you can the limit business. people within yeah. the business by your limited vision and your limitation of scaling mm. like you're scaling so slow that 
I have big plans. Why should I be here where there's no scalability, there's no movements, you know? So you have to be aware of that and move so fast. And one of the reasons why we scaling is so powerfully important to us is that the people we have are powerfully important. And these guys, they won't stay for uh, things that is not moving. So we have to move this engine and we respect everyone that's, that's there. And I think as an entrepreneur, you need to realize that it's beyond yourself. It's not about me, 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 me. Uh, that's why me, I, I don't talk about what I do and what I'm good at. <laughs> and, but I think it's because I also don't want to be outsmarting the people within the team because those are the people who makes the business, the Akaman model, mm. one of the leg. Mm, for sure, for sure. Let's talk Spazer Eats, the Uber Eats for the township and the Spazer economy 100%. that we have. What's the vision with that baby? Um, when you go to Soweto and you go to Tembisa, do you see guys waiting to deliver? Do you, have you seen the guys with... Mm-mm. Our regions have not been connected. Mm. Um, back in the days, we used to watch TV. How would you feel if TV was only for the people in the city? We need to take responsibility in connecting this co- these platforms. How would you feel if DSTV was not in your environment where you're coming from? You know what I mean? I think of that. I'm in the position of being a best tech guy in the continent. Why not create a solution that will connect the continent? And I've learned that South Africa township and small towns are so similar to other African countries. The people who say that, no, don't go to those markets, they haven't been there. Or if they've been there, they don't connect with the people there. And there's a difference because when I'm there, I connect with those people. So the idea is to build a platform that will connect the communities through their own food, African cuisine. Have you, gone, have you went to a premium market and find kota? Mm-hmm. Have you went to a premium market and found mohodu? Why? These are our premium meals. And reason, the fact that you have undermined them so much or underrated them so much, or you don't have platforms that push them in that high level, annoys me. So we need to create platforms that allows them to be better. And people, tourists and people who are coming in the country, they need to go to Spaza Eats and order local meals from a local township. How about like getting a quarter from Vilakazi Street and you are, you know? So the Spaza Eats model is about connecting the community, creating the economics, and the more business happen in that small town, even more people will get jobs because there's more delivery happening. There's more people be cooking in there so that the deliveries can happen. And the more that happens, there's more economics, more clothes required, more this. You're activating the economics. The reason why we move out of our small towns is because it's not busy. Nothing is happening. Whatever they are doing with their restaurants is not big enough for me with a degree to work there. But through Spaza Eats, you are able to pay these guys weekly. They are able to prove to a bank that they are bankable. They are able to get loans. They are able to scale their business. Already within Spaza Eats, we've got different partners that wants to partner in these big corporations. And they want to see how they can collaborate with those guys. Mm-hmm. And we're creating a platform. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing. Um, you'd find some people argue that playing in the township economy is tough because it is so closed off sometimes to people within the community or it's hard to penetrate, if, especially if you're an outsider, some people would argue. And where deliveries are concerned, some would say it's the, the risk is too high, people get robbed or they get terrorized in certain communities when they try to get in there. How will Spaze Eats um, look into playing in such <laughs> a 
somewhat volatile space and comfortably sore for decades. It's not volatile. The people who are running the game, they are not from there. Do you think the, the owner of the competitor of Spaza Eats can walk in Atridgeville, in Pumulong? Owners of Uber Eats? <laughs> can he walk there? Can he walk no, there? No, they can't. Can I walk there? For sure. Can I live there? For sure. Do I need deliveries coming to me? Are there people living in Atridgeville? Yeah. There's no crime. We are doing it with those situations. With, with, even the market, is, the market is very volatile, but there's still investors in Wall Street. You have to understand that market. We are from those environments. We know how to behave in those environments. The people who are saying that, they are not from there. They are scared of it. A person who's coming from a high-top, bougie place and wants to live in informal settlements, won't exi they can't cut it, but we can. We are from there. And what they say is for them is their perspective. Life is about perspective. But we know how to connect our people and we know how to use our own people to work there. So a Taviso who grew up in Atridgeville, he's going to be delivering. He grew up there. Why is he not getting robbed now? He's only going to be robbed now that he's got a bicycle or a scooter. And even if that happens, can that happen here in the city? You know, we need to be aware that to solve a problem requires you to go against the the current existing system. I don't believe in the things people say. Some of them, I think, like, they just want to look good and feel good in their own nice spaces. Um, but I'm creating solutions that will serve my country and my communities where I'm coming from. It would be nice to see my mother ordering food and because now she does not have any child who's staying with her. And she stays a little bit far from, from shops and stuff. It would be nice for her to have sc scooters come into her and deliver her meals. I think there's many parents who would love that. And the mindset is coming from somebody who's from somewhere. And I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't expect somebody from London to tell me how to move in Brie in MTN. Mm, for sure. And I love this African perspective that you have. Mm. love ourselves, love our products, create solutions for ourselves. 100%. And, and grow we know how there. to solve our problems. Because they are the problems that we're experiencing. That's yeah. why they say Africa is a land of opportunities. And you see a lot of people from elsewhere in Europe, in Asia, coming to eat up those opportunities that we have right here at home. Under our noses. And we're, 100%. Not, we're not taking full All advantage of All the resources and minerals them. coming from the continent. All coming from here. And I think... One of the tough things that I've realized when I talk to my friends who are also entrepreneurs, who are trying mm. to make sure that they do business across the continent is that we say Africa is open for business, but it's tough doing mm. business in Africa. Mm. For example, my friends from Nigeria will, will tell you that you have to pray and fast to get a South African visa because it can get so difficult where you're nervous to go mm. to that interview. You don't even know what's going to happen. And we're doing that to each other as African within countries the within the continent. And it becomes difficult for us to even realize those dreams of Africa that we have with one another. And there's been a lot of laws and a lot of talk about the African passport, etc. All of those things that haven't been there yet. Mm. And, and one of the agreements that have been put in place is the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. Just trying to reshape how we do business and yeah. trying to make it a little bit better for us to work together as a continent. But even with that, it's a little bit tricky. How do you see yourself and your businesses playing a role in that space? Africa is 54 rooms in one house. 
we were told not to go to another room because it's wrong, even though you don't know why. And that made Africans suffer from psychological, uh, I don't know how to say it, mental uh, slavery. Mm. You know, we suffer from mental slavery that we just assume somebody from another room is our enemy more than a guy coming from another house. And we need to get emancipation from that mentality. It will take some time. It's a, it's a mental thing. And if somebody attacks you mentally and you don't believe in you anymore, you are done. But it will take some time. But it's not all the countries. Uh, countries are starting to adopt to the AFCFTA, the African Continental Free Trade. And it's not all of them, but those that are agreeing. Um, for example, we operate in Botswana. We operate in Zimbabwe. People say, Zimbabwe is done. You don't have to go to Zim. Do you know Zim use dollars? Dollars when you're in Harare. Yeah? Yep. We do use dollars. Very yes. dirty dollars on our streets. But we, we do use the dollars. Whether yeah. it's dirty or clean. Yeah. Is it clean? Is it, yeah. Can it buy? Yeah. yeah. We need to understand that the co you are only big when the continent, when you are including the continent. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why there's segregation and there's, there's different currencies in the continent, it was tailored by someone. You need to fight that system because that system allows them to penetrate your, your community because you are divided. D together you stand divided, you fall. But now you need to push a more momentum of community, of one place, so that we can now trade within, think within, love each other within. And that's why when I think continental trade, when you think Spazait, you are thinking platforms that will allow people to trade within the continent. And with the AFCFTA, it needs a vehicle that will allow it to, to trade continentally. As much as we're saying it's difficult, have you been to Rwanda? Yes, well, love if, it. If it was difficult, then mm -hmm. they should have declined your thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they should have declined, you know. Mm -hmm. But also, there is a concept of superiority within passport holders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There so is. that also does play, play a part. It's easier to get a visa for certain countries with a South African passport yes. compared with compared a Zimbabwean passport, for example, 100%. or a Nigerian passport. And that's a, that's a problem to that person mm -hmm. who lives in that country. But if you live in South Africa, then why haven't you been in those countries and trade? Mm -hmm. um, as much as we go into this, so many fights that are going to happen, but if you can get to a country and build something that connects that community, even if they don't like you, you have built something for them. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that let investors leave the country is when it's too risky. But can we have investors from within the continent? Can we have one currency within the continent that allows us to trade? Do you know that when you trade with a dollar, uh, in the continent, America makes money. They transact, they make a percentage mm -hmm. from every transaction. Mm -hmm. What kind of a deal is that? We need to let go of these things. And some of them agreements when you go to Niger and, and other places in the continent, East Africa, they have signed contracts that are forever because they didn't, couldn't know how, they didn't know how to read. Mm -hmm. How do you correct? We need to correct these things. How, you can't say that these minerals, you have to get approval from us first before you go out. These things are things that we should fight for. And if you're an African country like South Africa and you think you are not connected to these countries, it's a mental illness to believe that somebody from Zimbabwe is your enemy, is ill. You need to realize that it's beyond you and it's about the community, as a continent, as a community.
Yeah, mm. and we have to build it that way. For sure. Yeah. I love that you bring up the currency situation. Recently, yeah. we're at the BRICS summit in South Africa, yeah. and Brazil's president brought up this idea of having a BRICS currency, and mm. everybody on social media has been up in arms. Yeah. I've never seen Americans shake like that before in my yeah. life. I'm worrying so much about this one is to 55 yeah. BRICS uh, to the dollar um, situation. What's your take on this BRICS partnership in particular and the currency that's being proposed? I'm not going to say it's good or bad, but what I can say is that if $1 is 55 to a BRICS, it means if America is going to buy a product from China, they have to pay, you know what I mean, so much. So they're going to be expensive in everything they do. But we are going to be able to afford these things because it's within our currency. We are going to be competitive advantage. We're going to have leverage. These are big countries that are connected together like China, Russia, India. Technology comes from India. Big CEOs in, telecom, in, tech, in tech companies is Indian, guys. You can go to Russia without a visa. Do you know that? Yes. That's where we should be going. You can start a company in Russia right now. Imagine African print in Russia. I'm not saying that is a good thing. I'm saying that it's an opportunity and it's enlarging your marketplace. Um, and partnering with this large, I mean, China is number one economy in the economy mm -hmm. and, and they are big suppliers and stuff. How much can you buy from them now in a good way and be able to sell here? You are able to be at, have a competitive advantage. But also, it allows the continent to see beyond their limitation, which has been this Western IMF uh, platforms that has never benefited mm -hmm. us. We are always borrowing. Do you know South Africa and other African countries, they are in billions of debt. Yeah. How do you come out of You Even your kids are in debt before they yeah. are born. We're slaves to international debt for you sure. You have to be radical on solution. Mm -hmm. This monument, beyond anything, let's say in 50 years becomes another problem. We have to fight it then. But for now, it's a emancipation mm -hmm. to the current system. Yeah, I see it that way. For sure. When we finish and wrap up the podcast, we like to play Fast Five, and I'm a big fan of Fast and the Furious. So we've got five, five, Fast Five. Those are five questions that you have to answer in one word or a sentence. So number one, what word or sentence describes your current state of mind in this season? Genius. Genius. I want a sentence for that. Because that sounds very powerful. What I'm doing, as much as the variables are independently categorized, um, I seem to be the only one who knows how to connect those variables. Mm. And what's something that you used to value that you no longer value? I used to value... Wow, that's a good question. I used to value um, degrees. You don't need a degree to get a job or to make money. You don't. I, I went to university because it was a high-level thing. But I've made, I've hired so many people with degrees. Without degrees. And without mm -hmm. degrees. Yeah. And... What's one thing that you're trying to unlearn right now? I'm trying to unlearn the mental slavery that 
Malawi is not a country. Mozambique, they're supposed to be building. You know what I mean? Mm. (laughs) Cairo, it's Egyptians, they don't, you know? I'm unlearning that. Mm. When I go to Timbuktu, I want to understand the history of the African continent and how Mali was one of the biggest countries and biggest richest country in the globally and how Mensa Musa became one of the richest men globally. And even now, the guys we respect here combined, they still couldn't match Mensa Musa. How did he do it? Black men doing that. We need to read about the stories and not read about Hitler's and others who have no connection to you, connection to you. I'm saying that we are descendants of Mensa Musa, the richest man globally, and we lived in the earth, uh, in the region that he lived in. How is it that that greatness was not transferred to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And what's the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> you are stupid. You are the stupidest person I've seen. And the worst in the room. When you speak, people don't even want to listen to you. Who said that to you? It's close people. It's close people to me. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I took those words and I turned them into something they can never, ever do. And what are they saying today? They can't speak to me. They are they. They don't know what to say because they've told everyone else he's stupid. How, look at how that stupidity turned out to be. Can a stupid person hire more than 50 people, mm-hmm. professionals, that are moving around so many? Now we've got 45 scooters that are moving and we're building this engine. By the end of the year, more than 1,000, 2,000 jobs will be created. Can a stupid person do that? Mm-hmm. Can a stupid person go to Russia and win top entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Have you dealt with that experience in that part of your childhood have you gone to that place and have that little talifani healed who got to i haven't healed but i i still need that energy i need the i need them to it's almost like i, I need to, i used to listen to this song called hustler's ambition by 50 cent i'm a product of 50 and it's to say that it starts like i need you i need you to hate so i can use you for your energy i i need that pain to fool me for what i'm yet to do because the positivity doesn't take you there. It doesn't fool you. I need that negativity to take me there. So the more they believe he's stupid, the more I need those negativities to fool me. I will heal when I'm done. I'm, I told mm-hmm. Unta I've got five years to ten years to finish this thing. In five years to ten, I would have solved continentally what I'm about to do digitally, and I will take break. Maybe then I will start healing, and I will start focusing on myself. But for now, I need to serve the continent. The pain I have in me is enough to serve the continent. Mm. And what's the best advice you've received? Stay hungry, stay foolish. Mm. Steve Jobs. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Mm. I want to remain dumb. I want to remain stubborn, but flexible on the details. But I will be smart enough to know how to move in a room. Like I want people to think, don't mind. He does not know what he's doing. Because I'm the biggest person you should be aware of. Mm-hmm. I don't respect any food delivery platform that is existing right now. They're from somewhere. And, and if they think, I'd, you know what? Like, when you see me on LinkedIn, do you see my content? There's no CEO of any of those companies that can speak with me about the continent. And because of that, I own the story. I embody the story of my, of um, Mensa Musas and others. Robert Mugabe, Nelson Mandela, 
all these guys are walking in their path economically. It's no longer political and I'm aware. I'm from econometrics class and I'm willing to compete. And you've heard it here, Genies. This is amazing. He says, stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you so much for watching. To you live from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway. This podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck.